Hello, this is Josh, and you're listening to The Invitation. So, during Lent in 2020, we have many things to lament, many things to be mindful of, many things that can weigh us down and rob us of joy. Lent is a time for us to give into this grief, to recognize our trauma, to weep, and to mourn. We confess that these are sadnesses that might steal our joy. This is pain that might take us down. This is sorrow that might very well wreck us. Yet we can long and wait during this time of fasting because we have the promise of a Redeemer, of a hope, of a salvation. Richard Rohr rephrases the wisdom of the desert when he says that the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. So why have men and women throughout the centuries fled to the desert to pray? And Jeremiah 2 tells us that it was in the wilderness where Israel spent its years as a newlywed. We find our deepest, truest love in the purifying space of suffering. When we are in Christ, we are invited to boast in our weakness and to boast in our suffering. I like the way that Frederick Buechner says this. He says, the gospel is always bad news before it is good news. We will forget the depth and the richness of our salvation when we are self-sufficient, busy, and distracted when we are not cultivating an inner poverty of spirit. This is a regular returning to a conscious dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Lent and Advent then are two main seasons where Christians intentionally create more time and inner space to rehearse the bad news in anticipation of re-entering the good news of resurrection life. This conversation with Lacey Finn Borgo is one of several conversations with good, wise, generous people that I can't believe I haven't been able to share with you yet. I'm pulling this conversation off the shelf here during Lent because it responds so well to David Taylor's challenge in episode 42 to pray the Psalms daily. David encouraged us to pray the Psalms out loud. And here, Lacey encouraged us to even sing the Psalms so that we can get them into our bodies. Lacey and I had this conversation a few years ago while we were on a study retreat 
for my Fuller Seminary doctoral cohort at the Sarah Retreat Center in Malibu, California, with some 30 people from all over the world to pray, study, and practice spiritual direction. Lacey led our daily prayers and offered instruction for our practice team. And today, Lacey is continuing with the second cohort of Dr. and Ministry students through Fuller. She's also an instructor in the Spiritual Direction program out at what is now named Portland Seminary. Lacey serves on the Renovare ministry team as well, but the main focus of her learning and practice is offering spiritual direction to children at the Haven House. This is a transitional housing facility for homeless families. Lacey has a new book out on the subject of the spirituality of children. The book is aptly titled, Spiritual Conversations with Children, Listening to God Together. You can find out more about Lacey and her other books at gooddirtministries.org. So here, Lacey and I are talking about the importance of the Psalms, the value of chanting, and she also offers us some practical suggestions on how to chant. I include here in the middle of our conversation a bit of audio of our cohort chanting the Psalms, and I'm also offering you the whole morning's session of Lacey guiding us through chant. You can find that audio posted at invitationpodcast.org under the resources, and then the download page. As I review this conversation with Lacey, as I remember the gift of who Lacey is, I'm encouraged that she is someone who not only prays and who models prayer for us, but Lacey lives out her prayer in the context of serving the houseless, the children, those who may otherwise be out of sight and out of mind in our society. I pray as you listen to the Invitation Podcast that the Spirit is helping you connect the dots here between prayer and service, between the inner life and outward, other-focused love. May you be blessed as you listen. Amen. Kazakhstan and then back to Western Colorado, where we've been there for 15 years. And what's the town closest to you? Uh, Probably Montrose, Colorado. Montrose, okay. I've heard Evan talk about that. Yeah. Evan Howard, who's going to be with us at this uh, Fuller Retreat here, and I'll hopefully have some time with him on the podcast soon, too. Um, Lacey also uh, works with... Uh, children in a homeless shelter as a spiritual director. Yes, that's correct. I um, There's a wonderful, um, it's a transitional facility mm-hmm. for homeless families mm-hmm. in Olathe, Colorado, mm-hmm. and it's called Haven House. Mm-hmm. And uh, at Haven House, I sit with children in spiritual direction, and um, uh, I also sit with the, care- the caregivers as mm-hmm. well, so the social workers and uh, caseworkers and 
uh, just the people uh, kind of on the ground doing the face-to-face loving. Mm. Was your doctoral project at uh, George Fox on this with children, spiritual direction with children? Yeah, it was. It was um, on uh, creating a model of direction with children at the time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you gave uh, an overview one evening with children. Uh, small children on doing direction. And Lacey had some uh, blankets laid out on the floor with various toys. And uh, of course, most of us in the room were immediately thinking about our own children. Yeah. And um, so it was a deep gift. I think uh, the local church often gets stuck in its kind of prepackaged curricula for uh, children's ministry. And what I saw in that, would, if, if we had chance to get some social uh, study school teachers exposed to it, it kind of, I think it blow the, the roof off of what they would start to think was possible with children. And Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think really what good um, uh, intentional thinking and considering um, of a child's relationship with God does is it helps um, the Sunday school teacher and even the parent to teach the child and not the curriculum. Mm. So often we're mm. just the curriculum is driving what's happening, mm. when really the ex- the child's experience of God mm. is the place to really host mm. that learning. Mm. Mm. Thank you, and so helpful. And of course, as I imagine doing spiritual direction with children. I, I, I had three years teaching middle school oh, language wow. arts, and Wonderful. then I had two years with 10th grade world history. <laughs> and anyone who's listening to this to know that I think there's something powerful, even if we're not going to be in children's ministry or youth ministry long-term, about learning how to be in their world and then how that will affect the way we think about all of humanity. Absolutely. You know, um, we talked a little bit about adolescence mm-hmm. in direction last night. night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, um, that's the beginning place um, in adolescence where we begin to think about what we believe about mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And that thinking goes on for the whole rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. But it's such a pliable time. Mm-hmm. And if a teacher, if a parent, if an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent mm-hmm. can learn to host that space, it's really about possibility. Uh, Posture mm. to host that space for an adolescent. It, uh, it kind of doesn't matter your vocation. Mm-hmm. Posture. Well, that's a good segue. I asked uh, Lacey specifically, I'm, I'm doing a little uh, different approach to a conversation here. And as you're listening to this, as always, I'm asking you not just to pay attention to the intellectual content but to open your heart. I, I want to bring people into the podcast that are representing something that can help us open to more of God, to get us outside of our limited boxed-in spaces, mm-hmm. of not just of who God is, but also of, of who I am, who you are. And so I remember uh, we saw the very beginning of our retreat here. We're at 10 days at, in Malibu at the Sarah uh, Franciscan Retreat Center. I was sitting next to, to Tad, and I think he would handle this little uh, ribbing here. When he saw that we were going to be doing chant, he went, oh, no. I, you know, he approached me in the cafeteria. He was like, why, Lacey, are you doing this to me again? Because <laughs> I love you, man. Yeah, and that's what worship should do. I mean, we want 
our liturgists and worship leaders to be able to earn the trust mm -hmm. to stretch us. So this might not be something that your congregation or your family is ready to do, but just uh, approach this in a sense that, hey, there's a lot more. There's so many resources in the history of the church for accessing different types of people in different ways for, for the presence of God. So let's talk a little bit about chant. How did you mm. dive in? When did this begin? Mm. Why are you bothering? Why should we bother with this? <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, it is true. You think, what in the world? Why would... Okay, so I the full disclosure, I grew up Southern Baptist. Okay. Um, I currently attend an Anglican church, but I've spent some time with the Nazarenes. I frequently wander over to the Eastern or the Russian Orthodox Church. But, but seriously, woven into to my DNA is is just real genuine Protestantism. Why am I chanting the Psalms? Yeah. And um, uh, personally, um, I have been chanting the Psalms uh, for several years, mm. just on and off, um, more regularly recently in terms of um, uh, making them a, a regular sustained part of my day. And mm. the reason is um, it's the only place that I have found that I can tell the truth about who I am. Mm. So both the light and the dark. Mm. Um, my work in the shelter, and um, I used to be a public school school teacher in inner city Rochester, New York. Mm. Uh, and growing up in the oil fields of West Texas, mm. um, I have seen a fair amount of human brokenness. Mm. And um, to be able to uh, chant the Psalms has helped me not only engage the brokenness in the world, but also my own brokenness, and hold it not in a separate hand um, with the love and glory and awesome and wonder of God, but hold it in the same hand. Mm. Mm. Uh, it leads towards, uh, for me, it's uh, more of a, the cruciformed life. Mm. Mm. So, um, so the Psalms are one thing, and I know I was two years at, at a Reformed church that helped me start this podcast, and talking with the pastors there, there's even some resistance just with the Psalms to begin with. So people are not as comfortable in America with poetry, and the Psalms just seem like a big mess to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then, then not only are you you diving into the poetry of of the Psalter, you're then also asking us to sing it. Yes. Well, there's something that happens bodily to us when we sing it. Uh, the tone and note resonate um, within our head, you know, um, you know, actually kind of rattles around mm -hmm. in our brain, in our chest cavity. Mm -hmm. We can feel those vibrations mm -hmm. in our body. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean... Um, in, in the, I, I do some work. I'm on the ministry team with Renovari, so I've done some things with um, spiritual formation sort of in North America. And um, one of the critiques, and sometimes it's rightly so, we end up being almost like disembodied heads. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just thinking, thinking, thinking. Mm -hmm. And chant really brings all of this thinking and feeling into our bodies into our bodies. So getting the Psalms, getting into our body, and you said the chest cavity, um, I'm thinking of, there's a new, uh, it's not new anymore, it's it's new to me and my wife, uh, a book by Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score. Mm. And mm. in that, mm. the uh, therapist who's worked with uh, 
veterans and trauma situations. He was part of the the crew that began to identify PTSD as a real thing and to get literature and support across uh, the psychiatric field to acknowledge that that we can have trauma in different places, but that um, dialogical therapy is limited, is his point, and that we have to be able to get into people's bodies because the trauma is locked inside of our bodies. And so I, I put that in a, as, a, as a footnote for people, and I'll, I'll give you some directions to that book, so that, yeah, trauma is in our bodies and that sometimes talking and telling your story is helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's another kind of therapy mm-hmm. beyond just hearing and preaching mm-hmm. the word. Mm-hmm. That song is mm-hmm. a physical, mm-hmm. a deeply physical it way. It really is. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I mean, I, I agree with you entirely mm-hmm. that talking is uh, important and it is helpful. And I would add incomplete. Mm-hmm. So um, being able to combine the body... Um, uh, is uh, a step towards wholeness mm-hmm. in um, addressing all the aspects of our person. Because we're not just we're not just singing. You've also given us instructions of when to stand, when to bow, right. when to sit down, when the, to when to cross ourselves. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, you know, we make the. I've invited. Um, it's it, it's kind of a curiously wonderful thing to invite a room full of Protestant pastors <laughs> to make the sign of the cross. And what what it really is mm-hmm. is it's a, it's a bodily expression of an inward reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I desire, long for the mm-hmm. cruciformed life. Mm-hmm. As I've been uh, getting to know my, one of my dearest friends, uh, Jared Ortiz, he's the token Catholic scholar in the religion department at this Reformed College, Hope College in West Michigan. He uh, and I've been praying together off and on for a couple of years, and I, I was struck. I've been learning how to do the sign of the cross, but it was so much a part of his DNA that it was strange for him to imagine ever starting prayer without moving his hand over his head, heart, and body. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I've learned to make the sign of the cross from um, my Russian uh, Orthodox mm-hmm. brothers and sisters, where we take our thumb, our index finger, and our mm-hmm. middle finger, um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right. and putting them together so that they're touching, mm-hmm. and then taking our ring finger and our pinky finger and touching the palm of our hand. So the mm-hmm. ring finger and the pinky finger being the two natures of Jesus. Mm-hmm. coming to earth, the incarnation, the palm of our hand. And then uh, starting at our forehead down to kind of mid-chest, shoulder to shoulder. And then my very favorite part is that we kiss the Trinity mm-hmm. because, oh, bless the Eastern Orthodox, mm-hmm. they're a kissy bunch. Mm-hmm. And they just, you know, that that kiss of love, mm-hmm. we just kiss the three of our fingers just... At the end? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never Yeah, yeah, just... Mm. Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Been hanging out with too many Catholics. I need yeah, to hang out with yeah. some Eastern Orthodox. You need to folks. get this with the kissers. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah. So, well, uh, one other yeah. aspect of the Psalms I wanted to highlight is, yeah. um, you know, Dallas talks about social context being a part of our person mm-hmm. in renovation of the heart, and one of the things that you know we can be reading along in a Psalm, and it can be cheery, happy, cheery, and we just we are feeling no piece of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe in our lives, we're in a space of lament. And so how do we engage a psalm that's not resonating? Mm-hmm. 
Well, um, I think we we begin by um, taking sort of the cue from liberation theology sure. that our social context is part of who we are. And so we start to think about those within our circle who might be feeling that way. Maybe someone in our family, um, maybe a group of people are feeling what's in the Psalms. And so then we kind of lean into them and how they're feeling. We start to stretch and and reach for those empathy muscles. And I think um, there are some Psalms that cause me um, great difficulty in chanting personally. Um, Any of the Psalms about uh, just the Please, Lord, you know, smash my neighbor's heads. Um, and I have such a hard time um, speaking them, much less singing them. And I can't exactly explain or put my finger on the mystery that happens when I do, but I find myself more compassionate for those, um, for my enemies. Knowing um, even there's just a heightened political situation around the world um, in terms of who we think of as as enemy, um, who we think of as um, foe. And I have a hard time feeling any empathy, but these psalms have helped me to be able to pray along those lines, to pray for my enemies, and to feel... Uh, something of how they may be feeling. Hmm. And that causes me to think about Trevor Hudson's spent some time with us looking at the the terror texts Hmm. in the Old Testament where it seems that God is commanding Israel to go out and practice genocide. Basically, yes, you're right. And uh, it was really inspiring to me to understand that he's made a decision to read through each of them. And his, his instruction is to take Jesus with our reading and into the reading and talk to Jesus about these. And he's, he said he's going through each of them in this discipline. I, I've just tempted, I've been tempted just to just kind of sweep it under the rug. Absolutely. For years, I just skimmed over them. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to read these, mm-hmm. Lord. I just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, a spiritual director of mine years ago said, um, invited me to sit in these texts in this way, um, to just imagine Jesus and myself sitting on a couch next to one another, shoulder to shoulder. I can feel him, uh, his arm next to mine, mm-hmm. and we watch these unfold together. Mm-hmm. And we... And I... You know, every now and then I'll turn and look at Jesus and just experience uh, the sorrow, mm. uh, the, the just, uh, can I say, disgust mm-hmm. at what is occurring. Mm. And it's okay if we access these and if, if the scriptures themselves stir up disconsolate experiences 
And that's okay. Um, I think the temptation in the church is to think that prayer is always going to help us feel great about mm-hmm. ourselves. It's always going to make us come to peace. And peace, he does say to us, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave to, with you, not as the world gives, but the point is that we're on a journey. And that's what I, I, as we've been practicing the chanting, it's part of the journey of learning how to find real peace and facing the darkness I think of, I, I was privileged with the gift of writing the blurb for my wife's first book, mm-hmm. uh, Jagged with Love. And what I said about that book and what I've admired in her as a believer, I said, Susanna is willing to not just look in the darkness, mm-hmm. to stare the darkness in the face, but then also to hope mm-hmm. in the face of that darkness. So the Psalms are, a third of the Psalms are lament. They really are. And there's not one lectionary in any of the high church lit, uh, liturgies, there's not one lit, uh, lectionary that has an annual diet of a third of lament. So uh, then we have our sentimentalized American culture that, again, that's why as, as the church, we just want to kind of make things cute sweep it under the rug, go buy some more stuff, have a mm-hmm. bigger meal, mm-hmm. turn on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, t- to be um, to be uh, empathetic with the culture that I come sure. from, of course, is you. that I, you know, I understand that we're hurting. Thank we, you. we do that mm-hmm. because it's so painful mm-hmm. to look at our own pain and our mm-hmm. own suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that's the thing that the Psalms invite us to. Mm -hmm. They invite us to not pretend any longer Mm -hmm. because that pretending, boy, it's not getting us anywhere. It's um, That pretending uh, leads to projecting of pain onto others. Mm -hmm. All we do is continue to lean into that cycle of pain. I feel the pain. I'm pretending I don't have the pain. Now I'm projecting the pain Mm -hmm. onto someone else who's now feeling the pain, Mm -hmm. pretending they don't Mm -hmm. have the pain. And then we just have a terrible uh, system that's Mm -hmm. just absolutely devoid of life. Mm. The Psalms invite us to feel our pain Mm. and to feel our our neighbor's pain Mm. as well. And what's bizarre is that in in some of the Psalms, it's the the Psalm writer takes us on this ride where at one point we're in his his presence, (laughs) in his courts, we're singing, we're dancing, and then all of a sudden everything's dark. And so in some senses, the whole of the gospel is in that that whatever oh, 10 12 20 verses Absolutely you know again and I know I keep going back to my eastern orthodox Thank brothers you. and Thank sisters you. but um, they've been so helpful for me is that you know they believe that the psalms are the words of Jesus mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there were there were two, and uh, it was true of the early church as well, that there were two marks, two touchstones uh, for the early church. You know, they still had like a present memory of Jesus. They could still say, do you remember when he? Mm-hmm. And so there were, you know how when someone dear to us has died, you know, Jesus has died, he's risen, and now he's ascended to the Father, and they still have the present memory of, do you remember when he, do you remember what he smelled like? Mm-hmm. Do you remember how his brow creased when he did? They still had that. Mm-hmm. And so there were two touchstones that kind of helped them savor him. One was the Eucharist and the other was the Psalms. Wow. Wow, I've studied 
I've studied the uh, Orthodox Church. I had never run across that, that they would think that it's the words yeah, of fa- Jesus. Yeah, Father Theophan. Oh, oh great. Yeah. Thanks See, for... why weren't we naming each other like <laughs> Theophan the Recluse anymore? <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. Maybe that's going to be our final assignment as we depart from each other I, I think we could. next week. We could. I th- I was, we were going for Trevor to be like T-Hud. T-Hud. <laughs> T-Hud the what? I, yeah, I don't know. The, the, the uh, South African? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we can work on that. I'm trying to think of Andrew Renucci right now just because he's already messed with one of my other podcasts the uh, andrea renucci the 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 nooch the mooch the the renooch the mooch um and it's important that we try to help you laugh as we're talking about these dark things and these heavy things and the last thing i want to point out is uh, i have a history of anxiety and depression that Mm -hmm. is both from sin and circumstance where I allowed myself to go places in despair. Mm-hmm. And it's also a chemical imbalance that I inherited from my the gene pool of my parents. Yeah. Um, so as we talk through this and we talk about lament, um, I've watched this especially with college students sure. and young people. I'm going to be sad and I'm going to find reality in sadness yeah. and my emotions and my despair displace Mm -hmm. my faith, Mm -hmm. displace God. And that's different than true lament. True lament is being honest with God, naming it, which is what Lacey's saying, the Psalms help us name it so that we can then believe in a Redeemer. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, uh, can I just reference a book, Walter Brueggemann, uh, Spirituality of the Psalms. Mm -hmm. You know, he talks about the Psalms um, having um, uh, kind of a uh, spiritual maturity to them. Mm -hmm. So we go through orientation. And um, again, we can draw back to the life of Jesus, a life, so orientation. Um, We could use Richard Rohr language, which is build the container. Mm -hmm. And then we have disorientation. Um, you have those psalms of disorientation. So those are the lament psalms. Those mm. are the backed in the corner psalms. Those are the there's no way out psalms. But but we are never left there. Mm. Never left there. Because in Jesus' life, then there's a resurrection. Mm. Mm. And so for us, there's a reorientation. Mm. And the, the truth, the truth that I have found in that is that in this in the stage of reorientation, we we know we can never go back. Mm. We can never go back to that first orientation because what we learned, what we experienced and gained in the lament makes us deeply, deeply loving people. Mm -hmm. And that uh, reminds me of another part of the theology, especially from the Catholic Church, when we still see Christ on the cross and their images, um, Protestants have trouble with that. We want to believe Jesus has risen and he is, has abandoned. He's free from the cross. Um, and so we understand that that um, it's, the, it's the Philippians passage, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection mm-hmm. and the fellowship of his mm-hmm. suffering mm-hmm. being conformed mm-hmm. unto his death. And so when we... Look, and I, I want to do uh, another long retreat. Maybe I'll have already done it by the time this conversation is released um, to help people grieve. I believe our country is in, in the midst of uh, a collective trauma. Wh- whatever position you're in politically, it's a painful 
conversation. And it's not just on Thanksgiving. You know, this is pervading our public discourse and making its way through social media. There's just this onslaught of strife and anger and rage, and we've seen it rise up in violence in many ways. So there's that. And then we look at Syria. Then we look at hurricanes. And then we look at racist protesting, you know, and violence. And and so how do we name the pain and yet believe that Jesus is in that pain? Mm-hmm. He is joining us. Mm-hmm. As we join him in his suffering, mm-hmm. he also joins us in our suffering. Mm, absolutely. And the invitation is mm. to join him. Mm. And I'll just do a segue for you Good. in the Psalms. Mm-hmm really, really can invite us to do that. Amen. Amen. So that's the Psalms. Can you give us a little um, teaching, a summary of what you taught us the other day? Of I'm, I'm going to share some of the chant that we practiced so that folks can hear what it sounds like. And how do we chant? Give us some practical details. Sure. Well, I think um, you can chant this alone. So that's that's predominantly um, how I have chanted the Psalms um, for the majority of my life. My private practice is to chant the Psalms by myself. Um, I live uh, with goats and chickens and horses, mm-hmm. and sometimes they join in, but the humans in my house don't really prefer it. <laughs> um, I attend an Anglican church, and we do chant the Psalms um, occasionally. So... Um, uh, so you can chant them by yourselves or you can chant them in community. A wonderful thing to uh, think about when we chant them in community is that it's the opportunity to practice union. Um, we chant, um, I led you all here in chanting monotone or two-tone mm-hmm. chants. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is um, in some ways to help us to practice mm-hmm. um, uh, fasting distraction. I mean, we have music with just stupendous melodies. I mean, awesome and beautiful. Um, and that titillates the senses in so many ways. And, um, but in a way, um, but fasting them uh, and doing monotone and two tone chant sort of lets the heart of the matter bubble up. So um, if you are chanting in community, then um, uh, just a really wonderful rule of thumb is to not is, is to be sure that you're that you can hear your neighbor. Mm-hmm. So you're not chanting louder than mm-hmm. your neighbor. And again, it's just that practice of unifying voice. Um, uh, and if you're practicing by yourself, um, <clears throat> I love the words um, of uh, Cynthia Bourgeau that um, deep listening and humility will carry your practice. Mm. So we really want to pull your full attention to the words, and just chanting one note lets you be able to do that. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, just four um, elements in chanting the Psalms. One is breath. Mm. So just stilling your feet, stilling your body, and pulling your attention to your breath and to God who is just right with you. Um, another wonderful thing that Brueggemann says is that the lamenting psalms can only be taken to Yahweh. Only God can host the lamenting psalms, uh, has the capacity to hold our anger or disgust. 
um, or, or deep, deep sadness. Um, so pulling our attention to God uh, who is right near us. And the other is tone. And just remembering that tone accuracy um, is 95% attention. And uh, you and I talked about this um, mm-hmm. in our. Yeah. Are you? Should I? Okay. Yeah, go for okay. It. Um, well, maybe you should set it up that you taped it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, afterwards, I said, Did you hear when mm-hmm. we went down, like it was a tone or a tone and a half mm-hmm. when we got to the Psalms of saying that, you know, smite my enemies? <laughs> and, and, um, and you could see it on the equalizer. Is that I what have, that is? Uh, yeah, uh, some software that allows me to analyze the pitch, and it dropped a, a, a step and a half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it is so difficult to sing lament. And we just have not had any practice with intentionally uh, saying that to God or mm. chanting that to God. And as a result, our intention, our attention and intention dropped, and so did the mm-hmm. tone. It was just really, yeah. I could hear it in the room. Mm-hmm. And my own internal struggle was whether or not to try to bring the room mm-hmm. back up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, being a trained spiritual director, I realized that I had to go with mm. where the the community yeah. was. And we finished that. We just kept getting lower and lower mm. and lower. This is a good spot to insert a snippet of our cohort chanting there on retreat in Malibu. Again, you can access the whole morning's service on the invitation website under the resources page.
be flat yeah yeah Yeah. um and and so that leads us to kind of intentionality keep your mind engaged with the words and you know it's uh, father keating um talks about when he when he teaches centering prayer that uh, you know a woman came to him and said you know during those 20 minutes of pulling my attention to to christ i I turned away like twenty thousand times and Father Keating said, wonderful, that's 20,000 times you got to look back at the mm-hmm. face of Christ. Mm-hmm. So as we're focusing our intention mm-hmm. on God with us and the words, uh, you know, be gentle with yourself yeah. and just yeah. keep pulling it back. Allow yourself to make mistakes. That's just a good rule of thumb in all spiritual practice. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, really, it's not about right or wrong. It's about noticing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't wrong that we were flat. Mm-mm. Not nope. wrong at all. Nope. Um, which is why, actually, I never, I haven't mentioned it. You and I talked about it. I haven't talked yeah. about it to anyone yeah. else because it wasn't wrong. It was just noticing. Yeah. Don't want to make them self conscious. Absolutely. Just so not. for some context, folks can know there's about 35 of us gathered in this mm. small chapel from all across the world. Mm. And um, so there's lots of factors in that, but I'm, I'm sure one of the psychodynamic things that's going on here is somehow intuitively interpreting the meaning in, oh. in the way we're singing. Oh, absolutely. So. And you know, one one other caveat is that a lot of folks have trauma around singing. Mm. Yeah. That um, either uh, being shamed um, by others. Um, we have, you know, we have American Idol in this country. Yeah. So we have a lot of sort of this celebrity singing and thinking that we have to lead out and it has to sound a certain way. Yeah. And let me, let me just remind um, your listeners that when we are chanting the Psalms, we are praying. Mm-hmm. And whatever comes out is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Is exactly yeah. what is necessary. Yeah, and I think um, the overall thing that I'm hearing you talk about—it's uh, reminding me that whether it's the these really difficult psalms or the body posture or the singing, the whole practice is a surrender. It's a deep trust. What in the world am I doing in my room by myself, <laughs> standing up, singing into thin air, and bowing and doing the sign of the cross. And, and so we're just surrendering ourselves. And if that is something that helps you, then keep doing it. If it scares you, no pressure. This is not some something that you're, you're not 
spiritual enough, if this doesn't interest you, maybe it'll come back in 10 years and you'll need to dig it out um, some book or find this on on the internet somewhere. Yeah, I I always like to say, if a practice is leading me, Mm -hmm. um, if I can see some fruit of the Spirit, love, Mm -hmm. joy, peace, patience, Mm -hmm. kindness, if I see some of that gentleness Mm -hmm. coming from a practice, it leads me, opens me up to that, then I'm going to keep the practice. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, I'm throwing it Mm -hmm. out. Any other final tips and suggestions on how we should practice chant on our own? Um, I'd love to leave you with a Brueggemann quote. How Great. about that? The dominant ideology of our culture is committed to continuity and success and to the avoidance of pain, hurt, and loss. Mm. The dominant culture is also resistant to genuine newness and real surprise. Mm. It's curious but true that surprise is as unwelcome as is loss, and our culture is organized to prevent the experience of both. Mm. So Mm. I invite you to practice chanting the Mm. Psalms and see what may surprise you. Amen. Can I ask you, since the focus of the podcast is not just talking about these things in abstraction, if uh, you could read it one more time, Mm as if in Lexia style, just so our listeners can Mm -hmm. dial it in, calm down, uh, turn off all their distractions. If you've been listening to this in your car, um, maybe you'll return to this later tonight and and rehearse this. This is really, I think this summarizes our conversation Mm. in many ways. These words from Walter Brueggemann. The dominant ideology of our culture is committed to continuity and success and to the avoidance of pain, hurt, and loss. The dominant culture is also resistant to genuine newness and real surprise. It's curious but true that surprise is as unwelcome as is loss, and our culture is organized to prevent the experience of both. Amen. If you have spent much time with the Invitation Podcast, it's fair to say that the spirituality I'm advocating here for you is a spirituality of Lent. This is a Lenten spirituality in some way for us to engage a year-round practice of emptying ourselves before God. When I make the ask here for your financial support, I am excited to communicate the mission by saying boldly, please support the invitation financially so I can help you die to yourself. You may ask, Why the heavy emphasis on dying to myself? 
The classic stages of spiritual growth are mapped from the church fathers as a movement from the purgative to the illuminative and then to the unitive. We mortify, we purge, we die to ourselves. We become like Jesus, who, though he was in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be manipulated or exploited. But he emptied himself, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This Philippians 2 description of Jesus is our model of what it means to be a Christian. As we empty ourselves, we are then better prepared to be illuminated by God, to put on the mind of Christ, to be filled with His wisdom, love, and truth. And then finally, our progress spiritually leads us to a spiritual marriage, to union with Christ, to participation in Jesus' divine nature, to become one with Him. I love the way that Peter describes it, that we are partakers of the divine nature. The spirituality offered here on the invitation is purgative because our American Christianity is already so full of itself. We are self-reliant in a way that causes our prayers to be stuck. As Lacey concludes here in my conversation with her, with the words of Walter Brueggemann, surprise is as unwelcome as is loss. This is at the center of Dostoevsky's masterful Brothers Karamazov. We really don't want Jesus to return. We don't want the freedom he has to offer us. We'd rather stay stuck in our small observances of Christianity. We really don't want God to come and consume our whole selves. Thank you very much. I like my American life the way it is. Again, the mission of the invitation is to create time and space for God through a practice of spiritual direction that is invigorated by the movements of the Holy Spirit in a prison. Praying in the prison allows me to stay anchored in a place of suffering. And then in that prison to regularly see resurrection spring up from the ground in a place that is known mainly as a space of emptiness and death. Seeing Jesus so clearly in the prison fills me with visions of hope and healing. And then I am inspired to better serve my private practice of spiritual direction first, and then inspired as I facilitate retreats and develop this podcast secondly. Another way to communicate these things to you is to say that Lent is dangerous. 
Lent is dangerous because prayer is dangerous. If I really become honest with what is broken in myself and in the world around me, then my faith will have to be challenged. And in that prayerful, challenging space, I consider with the Holy Spirit, do I really believe that God is here with me in the midst of this mess? Can Jesus really calm my storm? Is there really a balm in Gilead Or is that kind of salvation and healing just a nice idea, an entertaining fantasy that helps me feel good? So Lent is dangerous because prayer is dangerous. Amen. Thank you, thank you again for listening to the invitation. To anyone who is listening here to the end of these episodes, someone who is continuing in prayer, I trust you are here listening as a result of the Holy Spirit stirring inside you. This is a sign of my deep calling unto your deep as we share God together. If you haven't already subscribed to The Invitation, please do visit invitationpodcast.org to sign up, and that way you can get notifications when new episodes and resources are available for you. Please also consider the events that you'll find there, especially the School of Prayer that is an eight-month journey with the Rule of Life. This will begin next fall. We'll have two cohorts, one here in Holland, Michigan, and another one in Granville at Mars Hill Church. And we really do need your financial support as well. You can make a one-time donation on our website, or if the invitation is a resource that you engage regularly, please become a monthly sustaining donor. No financial amount is too small. The greatest gift that you can offer is your friendship. So please shoot me an email and say hello. I love it. Josh at invitationpodcast.org. Also, a great gift is to share the invitation with a friend. Join me with the Holy Spirit in inviting other people deeper into God. And so until next time, May you know in new and in surprising ways that God is nearer to you than you are to yourself. And in the language of Psalm 4, He has set apart the godly for Himself. Amen. Amen.